Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at gosblive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at gostonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at facebook.com slash gostonebridge and our Instagram at sbchurch. All right, so we are talking about the search that we have for a king, uh, for a ruler, which uh, a lot of times we don't even realize we are looking for someone that we can trust, that we can put our hope in, that we can say, this person is just, but at the same time, this person has great compassion, uh, great kindness, which is the description of uh, who Jesus is. It's, it's funny, but um, we look for signs that would lead us to the things that we want or the things that we, we think we want, that we need, right? And for the most part, we, when we see very powerful people or rulers, the signs of those powerful people or those rulers are that they're in general, at least historically, maybe not uh, as much anymore, but they're, they're dressed nicer than everybody else. Uh, they ride in vehicles, if they have vehicles back then, that are nicer than everybody else, right? Uh, they're usually surrounded by a lot of, of servants or people who who come to help them. And most of the time, if you're a very powerful person, you're surrounded by uh, people to protect you. And uh, so you can't ever get close to very powerful people unless you have connections or you know them because you know that there's a danger to those people and they have the ability uh, to protect themselves or keep everyone um, at a distance. I'm always sort of amazed at the fascination that we have, even as Americans, with royalty, kings and queens and all in Europe, right? Because, uh, you know, and, and whenever something pops up, you know, with, um, you know, with uh, Elizabeth's uh, funeral or a wedding or something like that, Americans absolutely love it. We just don't want to be ruled, right? <laughs> so we like the idea, we like, to, we like to check in on it, but we just don't want to be ruled because there's this something inside of us that says, I'm not sure that I can ever trust a person, a man or a woman to rule over me. So even when Jesus comes or this promise of a king, of a ruler, sometimes for us, we struggle with it a little bit because we think, no, no, we've done really well without one of those. Or at least, you know, we have rulers that are temporary. They, you know, they, they rule for four years or two years or six years and then we get to elect another one, kick that one out of office, put another one, you know, in there. And that's, that's kind of the way we, we, we like it. But the, the problem is, how are you going to fix the world? How are you going to fix life? How are you going to make it work? And, and, and think about this. You may never think about this. The, why has God waited so long to fix the world? You see, I would say it's because mankind, we have this idea that we can do it. <laughs> and so God, you know, is patient and he's long suffering. He says, okay, try it again. Okay, try it again. Okay, try it again. And if you actually go and you read, you know, what the Bible talks about, it actually says that, you know, when God comes and he, and he makes his, his final moves or his final, you know, straighten things out, it's because things have gotten so bad that we realize it will never be fixed. It can't ever be fixed. Well, in one sense, this is the way it was 2,000 years ago for a nation called Israel. 
Because Israel had not done well since their creation, since their inception, since their move to the promised land, since the first time they had kings, you know, Saul and David and then Solomon. And, and Israel had a long, long history of things not getting better and better and better and better, but instead things getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And at this time in their history, things are really, really bad. So the question is, humanly, we look around and say, where is God? I mean, is, is, is God not faithful to his promises? Uh, maybe all this God stuff was just sort of a myth or, or was made up, and we, we look for signs or someone to show us something that says God is real and God cares and that God still has a plan and God will do the things that he said um, he, would, he would do. Um, I, I can think about one of my favorite stories as a kid growing up. You know, you talk about signs. My dad was a doctor, and um, in the days when I was a kid, the state of South Carolina, where we lived, decided it would be a really good idea to put a tag, on their tags of their car another tag that said, this is a doctor. And you attached it to your, to your tag, and you, you screwed it on there. I'm guessing it's so that, you know, if you're going to the Aggie football game, and all of a sudden you're not feeling good, and you're stuck in traffic, you could say, is there a doctor? And somebody, I saw a tag, you know? And I know where one is. It's the blue car, you know, two lanes up and over, and you can go grab a doctor, and they can help you. Now, it would have been difficult if you're, if you're in that situation with my dad, because he was the OBGYN. So unless you were having a baby, it would, you know, wouldn't have been any good. But he still had that tag on, the, on, on his tag to say that he was a doctor. But there was another doctor, and this is why sometimes these things don't work out real well. There was another, another doctor, a good friend. Um, he had a son my same age. His name was Dr. Mann, and Dr. Mann had that tag also. But Dr. Mann drove a really, really nice, fast car. And he drove a really, really nice fast car because he liked to drive what? Yes, slow. He didn't want to go very fast. He was never in a hurry or anything like that. So he was always getting pulled over by the state police and given speeding tickets all of the time. And it bothered them because every time they pull him over, it was a little embarrassing because here's a guy with a doctor tag. He's supposed to be helping people and we're having to pull him over because he's a danger in traffic because he drives with it. So they finally did this. They said, would you take the tag off of your tags? It's an embarrassment and it, it, it really doesn't serve the purpose. And will you remove the sign that you are a doctor? Because we don't think it's a good thing. Now, you know, you could, you could look at uh, Israel and say, well, Israel, you know, carried signs with them that they were ruled by God. But when is God ever going to show up? When is it ever going to make a difference and make a change? So Luke talks about the signs, and he talks about how the signs are fulfilled. And if you look at them, and you look at, at Jesus' uh, birth and his, his uh, mom and, you know, all, you know, all the things that go with it, you say, well, they're really, really, really strange signs because Jesus isn't born in a palace. He's not surrounded by armies, or at least not armies that you and I can see. Uh, he doesn't have the best of everything. There's nothing about him that would make you think this is the ruler of the universe. This is the ruler of the world who has come into the world. But he is the fulfillment of the signs that were put out there. Isaiah, the prophet, said, hey, here's how you will know. A virgin will have what? A baby. Say that with me again. A virgin will have 
And you're like, well, uh, that doesn't happen, right? And just like I tell you, my dad's a doctor. He's no BGYN, so let me go ahead and tell you. No, nah, it doesn't happen. So my, my dad, you know, often would be in situations where he would, you know, hear stories and go, no, nah, that doesn't happen, right? You know, they, this is the way it works. As far as we know, at least, no human being has been able to spontaneously regenerate. You know, there's a process and there's something that we understand about, about human beings to how this happens. And for the prophet to come and say, this is, this is what will happen, you have to admit this would be an extraordinary and incredible sign. In fact, it's so incredible that we would say, I'm not sure I can, I can fathom that or I can believe that. Yes, but that's how you know. That's how you know God is involved because as far as human beings are concerned, this is beyond what we know or what we, what we would understand. So this is Luke's part, uh, his gospel and how he's telling the story. Last week we talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah, who they're gonna come back up in this same story. But here's how he continues in Luke chapter one, verse 26. He says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember Elizabeth? Elizabeth is a relative of Mary and she is too old to have children. And Zechariah goes in the temple, and in the temple, an angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. He says, you know, that really can't happen because we've tried to have a child forever, and I don't know how, you know, we could possibly believe that she would have a child. And, and you might say, well, this sounds a lot like, if you, if you know the Old Testament stories, this sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah's story, which is the beginning of Israel. Yes, absolutely. It's very well parallels uh, in some ways their story. So Elizabeth, she is in her sixth month of pregnancy. It says that she has gone into seclusion all this time once she became uh, pregnant. And it says, God sent the Abel, he's named here, Gabriel, to where? Nazareth. So Nazareth, <clears throat> here's Jerusalem, Bethlehem's down here. Um, if you go up north, almost straight north um, from Jerusalem, kind of parallel the Jordan River, here is the the uh, Dead Sea, and you go straight up, here's the Mediterranean Sea, you'll come to the city of Nazareth. And then you have um, the Sea of Galilee a little further north and over to the east of, uh, of that. So the, the angel goes to uh, Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a, catch this, a virgin. In fact, this word, there are words that are used that could mean young girl. This word is the word that is used for she's never had a child, never been with a man. So it's a little bit different word. And a name, Mary, she was engaged though. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, listen to this, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, again, Mary's young. Uh, most scholars, those who study this, will, would say that she's probably at the youngest, maybe 12, maybe 13. At the oldest, probably 15 would be the oldest that she would be. Joseph would have been older as the custom was for them. And uh, Joseph and uh, Mary's parents would have arranged this marriage. It was, it was set up. And so Mary's this young girl, um, in a lot of ways you could say, you know, innocent, naive, I don't know. I had kids, you know, they're not that innocent, naive at that, at that age. But anyway, the, you know, the, uh, um, you know, this is, this is kind of who she is, her state of being and, and Mary's expectations in life were not very big. Mary, Mary, you know, they didn't have American Idol then, 
or the lottery or anything like that. So it's not like she thought one day I'm going to be a princess. One day I'm going to be a superstar. You know, one day this Mary's expectations in life are actually pretty low because she's from a poor area. She's from a poor family. Joseph is a carpenter. He's a, he's a construction worker. So his possibilities are not very big or very great, but she happens to be in the right line. It's kind of interesting. Um, Luke will later give his version of the genealogies. Uh, Matthew gives one, Luke gives another, and they're, they're different in their details, but they follow the same genealogies. And he inserts this in his. You can find it in, I think it's the third chapter of Luke where he gives his. He says this when he's, when he's, when he's doing it. He says, uh, Jesus was born of Mary. And that's unusual because they would always just include the father. And he, and he adds in that because a lot of people say, well, I'm not so sure how common the belief was of, of Mary's story. Oh, it was, it was not only common, it was absolutely you know, fact to them, they understood it. It says this, born of Mary, Joseph, he says, who was presumed to be the father was in the line of David. So he even puts it in there that Joseph is not really the father, but everyone would look at Mary and presume that Joseph is, is the father. Mary is going to be with child. Mary's going to live her life for a while as being engaged. And I, I think I told, this, told you this a couple weeks ago, to a man, but they've never been together yet because that's the way it worked in their days. They would go through up to a year engagement where they still lived with their families, but they were betrothed to one another. And, and they, they considered the contract the same that you and I would consider marriage. They just would not consummate that marriage uh, for, a, for a lengthy period of time that kind of ensured their purity as they went in. Well, Mary's not found to be that way. Mary's going to be pregnant and the angel's going to talk to her about this, this pregnancy, about what it means. Why? Because this is not normal. This is going to be very, very strange. It's going to be very, very different. Ah, but it will be a sign, a sign to the people, a sign to us 2000 years later that God was doing something that mankind, people are not able to do. God was fulfilling his promises, the ones that he made to us. So this is what he says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Wow. I I can't think of many things you could say to someone in earnest that would help them or give them strength um, and would, would match up to what they're about to face, to what Mary is about to face in her life. Why is this important? Because once again, think about what Israel has had to face. Think about the things that that you might face in life. Because if we were to all tell our stories, I mean, really tell our stories, you know, we might be shocked at all of the things that go on in our life that we face, that we struggle with. And where are you going to get the strength? Where are you going to get the faith, the confidence to move forward with hope in your life? With a sense of compassion for other people, if, if you don't understand how compassionate God has been to you in the midst of your struggles and your difficulties and your circumstances in life, but this is what Mary will have to face, and this is uh, why the angel comes and gives her this greeting. So it says in verse 29, maybe you could relate to this part, right? I could. It says what? Read these two words to me. What? Confused and, yeah, of course. 
I mean, an angel has appeared. And then, you know, you, you would think the, the angel's going to come and, and it's going to be wonderful news, right? You're going to get to go to the prom and, you know, you're, you're going to get a rented limousine. You're going to, you know, something wonderful. But, but this news that she's about to get is not necessarily that wonderful. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly challenging. But this is why she gets the visit, so that she would understand. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found, say this with me, you have found favor with God. That means God has extended his compassion toward you. It has nothing to do, um, and this is what you will pick up always in the story, with anything that Mary has done, anything that she's earned, anything that she's achieved. This is the angel saying, God has extended his favor, his, his grace toward you. He has, he has decided to do this in your life and has chosen you for something in life that will be very, very um, special. Not just for Mary, it will be very, very special for all of us. He says in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. And uh, Joe talked about uh, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It actually literally means that God is here with us. And that was true uh, in, in Jesus' uh, day. But Jesus is actually given the name that comes from the Old Testament, uh, Joshua, which, which means God is the one who saves us. And that, that is his personal name that he's given. And in verse 32, it says, he will be very great and will be called, catch this, the son of of the Most High. This is a reference to Jesus, of course, being God, coming from uh, the Father himself. It says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will, say this with me, will what? Never end, never end. Now, I, I know you think, well, kingdom of David. I mean, he should have said something like, he will give you all of Rome. <laughs> Or maybe he will give you, you know, the Greek empire or, or, or maybe the Babylonian empire. Why, why would this? Well, to them, they understood that David was establishing an eternal kingdom on the earth. So to them, this is the highest level of authority or of, of any kind of rulership that could ever be handed down. And they knew God had promised that David's kingdom would not end. There would come ruler after ruler as as. Paul even goes in and says, he, he wasn't promising that David would live forever or that David would rule over everything. He's promising that in David's line, a ruler would come who would rule forever. And now the angel is telling Mary, you're the one that's going to carry that child and that son will come from you. Mary asked the angel, hey, would you have done this? How can that happen? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. And she literally actually says, um, for I do not know a man. So that just can't happen. She's, she's being logical. Same thing you and I would be. It's, it's not taken the same way as maybe a challenge to God. This is, is, is Mary just trying to think this true and, and trying to understand how this could possibly be when God says something, but I understand something very differently. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm very, or I try to be very logical 
Um, my, my, because of my parents and the way I was raised, I was raised very scientific. And I don't mean by that that I think science is, is the answer to everything or the religion. It just means, you know, you think through it and you say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Could this really happen? In fact, it's where, you know, the, the old phrase, you ever done this with your kids? Hey, if it sounds too good to be true, what? Yeah, it probably is. You know, just think through it before you, and, and just to let you know, I was raised in a little town, um, you know, um, pretty much, you know, the old phrase, uh, came in on a pumpkin truck. That was me. Um, you know, I liked being in a little town, uh, pretty naive. And uh, the reason I think this way is not just because of the way I was raised, but because I've been burned before. <laughs> I've had people, you know, try to sell me things and they came up with something before. I've had people, you know, tell me things that I realized were not true before. So now I think through things and I, I don't have any problem doing that. And, and so I had a friend one time who did this. He said, yes, but faith is the opposite of logic and thinking through things. So let me go ahead and tell you what I told him. Not true, <laughs> not true. God doesn't ask you to just believe, and, and if it doesn't make any sense, it must be from God. I mean, the things that we believe absolutely have their foundation in truth and in reality. When, when Mary is told these things, they're beyond how she sees it. But when she all of a sudden finds herself pregnant and can still say, never been with a man, even though most people would not have believed her, in fact, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that there was not Twitter and Instagram and things like that in her day because she might have gone in and tried to argue about it, right? No, no, God told me. She doesn't. That later on, you know, Luke will even say, that, you know what Mary did with all these things that went on? You know what she did? You probably remember the phrase. It said that she did what? She, yeah, she held them in her heart. She was just listening and watching them. She was not the outspoken one. She was one of the one, you know, trying to fix everybody or everything. She ponders these things and she treasures these things and she holds on to what God is doing and what God has said and how God has moved. Now, let me tell you why that's important. And it's, it's more important for us than we think. I understand that, that we live in a world and you know, we're trying to make a difference in the world. I understand that. But at the same time, we are people, if you understand who Jesus is, you understand how Jesus came, what he did. We're people who understands the only one who will ultimately fix this world is not us. It's who? It's the creator of this world. And he is the one who has designed a fix for the world. And the, the, the fix for the world that he designed comes into the world through a miraculous birth and an announcement by an angel. I've never had an angel come and announce, you know, or anything like that. Now, I, I dated one once. I ended up marrying her. But, you know, besides that, I've never had an angel come and tell me anything. But, but she did because this is God making a move. And if you say, well, I can't believe that because that doesn't happen. And, and how can you believe that being someone who was raised, you know, uh, in a scientific way, in a medical, well, because of what actually happens and because of the other things that go on that you realize these things must have been true because of what happens after that. That's logic. That's reason. You're, you're adding it up and you're saying, how could this not, not be true if you see these other things, you know, that happen? So it, it, it's not the absence of it. It's holding on to something based on the fact that you have begun to realize that when God promises, God delivers.
And you can hold on to the deliverer because the deliverer will rescue us um, also. So here's Mary and uh, she asked this question. She's logical and here's what the angel replied. The Holy Spirit, here's how it happens. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit who, who is God and who comes from God will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, over, overwhelm, over, overcome you. So the baby will, um, to be born will be holy. And, and it, it, you think about it, how important this is. Because uh, the, Jesus has an earthly mother. He has, he has a, a young woman, just to let you know, uh, I, th- because this is a point of theological contention. Um, the Bible does not say that Mary is sinless or without sin. I know that, uh, depending on your, your background, you may struggle with that because you're told that. This is something that is written about several hundred years after Jesus and about 700 years after Jesus, one of the religious leaders declares that it was true because how could Jesus be the son of God and sinless if his mother was a human being and sinful? She must have been sinless also. Of course, let me just go ahead and work the logic of it because I'm a logical person. So how could she have been sinless if her mother and father had not been sinless. And how could they have been sinless? You know, you, you, you see where I'm going? This is God making a change. This is God doing something. And so that you and I would understand that Jesus was born not just from human parents because of human will and human plans and human intentions, even though they always intended to get married. This was God's plan, and he uses Mary. And even though Mary is like us, God uses someone like us so that we would understand just how much God likes us, right? (laughs) How much he wants to rescue us and how God can step into our world and our lives and do things that honestly, we don't understand. If it it weren't for the fact that who he is, you know, we wouldn't have any idea of how this, this could happen. So he's trying to explain it. And then he adds this. I like this. He says, what's more? Your relative Elizabeth, so this is kind of a sign for Mary. Your, your, your uh, relative, she has become pregnant in her old age. Um, people used to say she was barren, but she is now in her sixth month for nothing. Say this with me. For nothing is impossible with who? See, you got to hold on to this part. This, yes, humanly, it's impossible. Humanly, it can't happen. Humanly, it doesn't work out. But nothing is impossible with God. In fact, if God does not step into our world and do what seems to us impossible, how is our world going to be fixed? We just get, you know, technologically more advanced. We, we create more wealth. Uh, we can do more things than we've ever done, you know, before. I mean, we, we dress the way royalty would have dressed, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, all of us, because we've become so plentiful in what we have, and yet we also realize, and everything's still a mess. <laughs> we can't get along. We, we constantly twist the truth to make it fit what we want it to be whether, rather than it being true. We, we lose our care and our concern for uh, 
uh, our neighbor, for people that we should care about because we're really quick to point out their faults and their struggles and their problems. And at the same time, kind of Jesus told a parable about this, right? Ignore the what? Yeah, the, the log or the speck that's in our own eyes. It's just what we do as human beings. Who's going to fix this? Who's going to make a change? If God doesn't come beyond reason and what we understand and the way the world has worked forever, if he doesn't come and make a change, who's going to make a change? Can I get a little political? My party is not going to fix it. <laughs> Your party is not going to fix it. The party on MTV, not going to fix it, just so you know. So whatever party you're looking for that you think that party or that event, that is not going to fix it. God is the only one capable of fixing. And the incredible thing is he planned a long time ago. He planned a long time ago, even before we existed, that there would be a rescuer. There would be a savior. And he sends that rescuer, that savior into the world. Okay, so here's what Mary says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. A few days later, so Mary's excited, isn't she? You know, she is, she is, she, she's not uh, pregnant yet or she's just becoming uh, pregnant, so it's not clear yet. But she is so excited that Mary decides to take a trip, of course. You know, so a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country in Judea. This is near the Blanco River in uh, West Texas, just to let you know, to the town. Now this, would, you know, this is probably the hill country they're talking about. They don't identify it exactly. It's probably north of Jerusalem. This is where maybe Zachariah and Elizabeth would have um, lived. And she goes to where uh, uh, Mary, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah lived and she entered the house and she greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, catch this, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. What a greeting, right? Yeah, it's good to see you also. You know, where did this come from? I mean, again, a sign to Mary because where did this come from in Elizabeth? How did she know this? How did she, how did she understand this? And she goes on to say, uh, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And Mary's probably thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm your cousin. Remember me? You know, you know. No, no, the mother of my Lord would come visit me. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you, catch this, you're blessed because you did what? You, you believed. Yeah, you're blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I know people, you know, Struggle sometimes, you know, so what is God looking for? What, is, what does God want from us? So this is what he, he's always said. Here's what I want. In fact, Jesus is challenged one time on this. So what, what should we do that we could do the works of God? And, and, and Jesus tells them, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe the one that he has sent. Yeah, that's the work of God. So and, and Mary's acting out the same thing. And Elizabeth's already recognizing that she believed, you know, and said, you, you are blessed by God because you have trusted, you believe. You've decided if this is what God has said, doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see how this could happen. It's going to actually cause me a lot of trouble, a lot of problems. Sure it is. But if this is what God has said and this is what God has done, I believe him. 
And so I'll cooperate and I'll be a part of this. Then there's this last uh, little part in here. And uh, actually, that was, this is what I really want to do. And I only have 10 minutes left. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at this, this, this hymn or this song that Mary has. Because Mary, you've probably heard of it before. It's, it's actually called the Magnificat. And that's because when the um, language goes over to Latin, because the Romans, once they kind of get involved in Christianity, they decide that Latin, which is their language, is actually the language of God, and everybody must speak this language. And so they kind of wiped out Greek and everything else. This actually was a good thing for us. Uh, but, but Latin becomes the language. And if you look at this, her hymn that she sings out or that she says, the very first word in it is Magnificat. And so that's why it's titled this, but it's a great title for this song that she comes up with. Here's, here's what it says. Here's her response, her, her song. Can you imagine this? Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Oh, how my soul praises. She's expressing how God has changed her life changed the, the hope that she has in life. She brought a joy into her life that, that is beyond the circumstances, what she will ever become, what she'll ever do, what she'll ever own, any position she would have. There's this peace that God is watching after me. He is, he is, he is, he is pursuing me. He, he chose me for something that I didn't even ask for, didn't go after myself. You know, it wasn't that I was the aggressor or I was so... You know, so, so pushing forward, God himself had plans. My soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my what? My rescuer, my savior. Yeah, he's invaded my life and he's rescued me in the middle of my life. Look at verse 48. For he took notice of his, here's how she describes herself, his lowly servant what? I don't think you could, you could express it any better. He, he's looked at me at my state in life, who I am, who I really am compared to the kings of the world and compared to the rich and the wealthy and the powerful. And he has taken notice of me. Why would God take notice of me? Because he cares. <laughs> what, a, what a statement. Because the, the truth is God takes notice of you and me also. In our lowly estates, no matter what we think, no matter you know, uh, how we view our life, he takes notice of us in our lives. And he does marry. And he picks some, someone of no reputation, I mean no good reputation, of no, no great position, no, no connections, right? Uh, you know, she couldn't ask uh, maybe as, you know, Growing up, the doctor that I knew could say, hey, could you not write me a ticket? I am a doctor with that, you know, plaque on the back of my tag. And they probably would say, yeah, but just kind of slow it down a little bit. Where you and I would get pulled over and they would they write us two tickets, right? One for speeding and one for arguing with the officer for speeding. So, you know, so she has none of this. But she says, but God has taken notice. But God has made um, a choice that uh, I never thought could happen. He says, she says, and from now on, all generations will call me what? Wow. See, this doesn't happen to Mary in her life as she lives her life. She's not the one that people walk around calling blessed. In fact, Mary is still, for the most part, insignificant in her life. This, but 2,000 years later, we don't see Mary that way. We still remember 
Mary. How many of the important people and the wealthy people and the power people, powerful people that lived in that time, do you even know their name or their circumstances? But Mary, hmm, totally different because God had a different plan. And it wasn't based on the way the world understands position and power and importance. God has a different way that he sees it and a different way that God chooses to, uh, to uh, move and to uh, do something in life. He says, uh, she says, for the mighty one is holy. It's, it, holy in this case means set apart. He's different from us. He doesn't see things the way we see things or do things the way we would do things. And uh, he has done great things for me. That's, that's what she says. He shows mercy from generation to generation for all who fear him. Now, Mary's making a shift in her song. <clears throat> She's saying, just looking at what God has done for me, I recognize how much God has plans for generation after generation. <clears throat> this is a reference to Israel also. And, um, and, and God, she, in seeing this, she knew that God had, had plans to fulfill his promises to Israel. And she is a, a, a vital part of that fulfillment. And she describes them for all who fear him. In other words, they look to him as the one who will do these things, as the one who, who holds power over the people who are powerful uh, in the earth. And then she goes on and adds, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the who? The proud and the haughty ones. You know, yeah, she's picking it out. So the ones who made themselves powerful, the ones who walk around and say, hey, you don't want to cross me. You don't know who I am. You ever want to do that? I've wanted to go into a store before, and uh, whenever I realize that I'm kind of being overlooked, because it's happened before, and you're like, what? You know, am I, do, do they not realize I'm, I am here, no one's helping me, but someone came in after me, they helped them and all. And I've wanted to be the proud and haughty one, haven't you? I've wanted to walk them and say, hey, I own this store. And then they say, oh, Mr. Penny. So, you know, and I would say, no, no, okay, maybe I don't own this store. You know, we, we don't like being overlooked. She's saying, hey, God will overlook the powerful. He will not give them the attention they think they get in the world but it is those who are humble and who are lowly that he will see differently. Jesus preached this in a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, the most <clears throat> um, powerful sermon ever preached is Jesus' long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. You find it in Matthew's gospel. And he says this. He says, bless. Bless is what she's talking about. Her. Bless means you realize you're favored. You realize that you, know, you, you are looked at differently. There's something special about who you are. And it fills you with this sense of joy and expectation. And Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? <laughs> no, I've lived enough in this world, Jesus, to understand. Not blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the haughty in spirit, right? Who thump their chest and demand that you pay attention to me and that you do what I want. That's, that's the ones that get what they want in this world. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. He's saying this is how God sees it. This is how God understands it. It's one of the reasons that, that Jesus makes such a change in us. Now, I'm not saying we're there. We've figured it all out. We don't feel that way sometimes. But he does make a change in us. And he causes us to look at life differently when we realize how he has looked at us 
differently and how he has watched after us in ways that, that we just didn't understand that he would. He goes on to say this. He's in verse 52. He has brought down princes from their thrones and he has exalted the what? Yeah, that means before him. They are humble before him. They recognize who he is. He has filled the hungry with good things and he sent the, the rich away with what? Yes, I mean, this is very pointed. They, he, he wants, he, or Mary wants you to understand that when this happens, she recognizes who God is and what God himself will do that is the opposite of the way that, that we would do them um, in this world. And then she adds, uh, once again, he has helped his servant Israel and he is remembered to be merciful for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children. This promise was, was made for what? Forever. He, he would fulfill this promise. This is a lasting promise. This is something that he is still working on and that God will fulfill. And it says Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months. Yep, she was having a great time at uh, Elizabeth's. And then she went back to her own home. Oh, incidentally, because it's, 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 it, when you read it and you catch what it says, there's some pretty amazing things in here. This actually means that Mary goes back to her parents' home. She doesn't go to Joseph because they actually are not together. They live in their own homes. They only come together at the end to come down to Bethlehem for the census and for the child to be born. They live in their parents' homes because that was the proper way that, uh, that they would live their lives until the day that they were wed or until they were finally together. Wow. I don't know what Mary's song means to you. To me, it, it's one of those things that's missed so many times. But to me, Mary's acclaim, you know, as, as the, the one who would carry Jesus himself and her understanding is, is so powerful and so important because she's in a position where she could claim, you know, great authority or say, I must be treated different. But you never see this. You never see this in Mary's life. She doesn't act it out this way. Instead, there is an incredible humility about Mary's life. There's this incredible sense still of looking to God and looking even to her son Jesus later in life and saying to, remember she's at this wedding and uh, there's, they've run out of wine and she says, hey, whatever he says, what? Do it. <laughs> wow. You know, you would think she would say, hey, whatever I say, I'm the mom, <laughs> whatever I say. She recognized who he was. She knew that God had these plans. She holds on to them. She ponders them. She, she keeps them deep. They are treasured in her life. Why? Because she knows that the fulfillment of them, the acting all of it out, is in God's hands. It wasn't in her hands. It was in God's hands. But she would be the one who would benefit from them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, this time of the year, we're always caught off guard trying to look around and understand what Christmas is really all about. What, is it, what does it really mean? Because um, it, it's such a festive time, such a, such a fun time for us. But Lord, when we look and we, we recognize that uh, Christmas is different than what we thought. Christmas is about you coming to visit us.
and to remind us of the change that you would bring 2,000 years ago when the Messiah comes for the first time. And as he continues to make changes in our hearts and our lives and raise us up, grow us up, because we still have so much to learn about who you are and so much of our faith that still has to be strengthened and developed. Knowing that the day is coming when you resolve it all and that Jesus will be the reigning king of all the universe at that time. The one who earned it, gave his life, sacrificed it. Like a lamb that is used in the sacrifices, he's perfect, no flaw, no blemish, so that he could offer himself, set us free. Lord, if, if we look at our own lives and we examine our lives, we recognize even at this time that sometimes our attitude is not the best. Sometimes we're still frustrated. Sometimes we're still looking for something, trying to get something in life to fulfill us and satisfy us. And we just can't figure out what it is. Lord, thank you that Christmas is about the fact that the satisfaction of our hearts and our souls has come in Jesus himself. And his life is proof that you will do what you promised that you are faithful. So if you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, maybe you're online, you've never made that decision to believe. What a great time to do that. Say, that's my rescuer. That's my savior. That's God who has come to dwell with us, to live with us. I will follow him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, let's stand and continue worshiping this morning. Children, weep no more. Hope is on the 